0: In this episode of Doing Death, we have a beautiful conversation with Marie Mitchell, founder of Pops Kitchen and more recent venture, Island Social Club in London, celebrating her cultural heritage and connecting people through food, drink, and events that they put on. Through their own words, Island Social Club aims to fill the void left by the erosion of London's once thriving Caribbean scene. Marie's older brother Richard died 10 years ago from complications from the autoimmune disease lupus. We met up to talk about this life-changing event and how, in doing something she loved, she was able to reconnect with herself, her family, and her life again. Hello, Marie. Hi, Amanda. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. <laughs> I've been wanting to get you on a podcast for a long time. Why? Because <laughs> you, just, you just sound so nice. <laughs> oh, that's so charming. <laughs> Not interesting or anything. <laughs> Lots of giggling already. Yes. Um. So yes. Yeah, so we're here to talk about your brother, Richard. Yes. And I was going to ask you a little bit about that. And mm. Richard died uh, when you were twenty-three. How old are you now? I am thirty-two, but
1: thirty-three is creeping oh, in yeah. in January. Oh. <laughs> I
0: can't believe that.
1: I can't believe it either. <laughs>
0: I've already um, started
1: saying I'm thirty-three.
0: So this is
1: ten years. Next year, next June, it's ten years since we lost wow. him. Yeah. So. Yeah.
0: Uh, so tell me how tell me how Richard died because that might put that in context. Yeah, so he I mean he
1: passed his the re, his actual cause of death was um, a brain hemorrhage. Okay. Um, but he had pre-existing health conditions, so he <clears throat> contracted meningitis when he was fourteen, fourteen or fifteen, I think it was fourteen, and it triggered off um, a quite rare form of lupus, which was called mixed connective tissue disease, and that in turn um caused his kidneys to start failing so he was on dialysis by the time he was 16 at home and then he had his first transplant at 18 second one at i mean on his 18th birthday kidney fact, kidney transplant yeah kidney transplant because they failed yeah. they failed by the time he was 16 um and then he had another one around his 21st birthday and neat the, they both kind of worked for a while but not they were never they were never kind of at you know 100% or whatever is Um, that a
0: compatibility thing
1: yes both were from cadavers um and that can have an effect I think sometimes it can be a case where it's fine I'm not sure of the um fine details of it all in terms of what can make something more compatible but he'd got to the stage where he needed a kidney from a live
0: donor Okay. Um, so, yeah, just in case you don't know, I'm very impressed that you do know that word. <laughs> <laughs> Cadaver is a dead body. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So why do not people do people not know it? I well the other day I said it to uh Blaney and he said, um it's my husband and he he didn't know what it meant. I mean maybe it's just because
1: I've been exposed to Well that's to what I
0: was thinking, yeah. Death from quite a young age yeah. and, and, and
1: um but yeah so I, I then gave him one so but various people tried to be, get tested and he he needed a very high percentage live donor
0: and this is people in your family yes yeah, so
1: all. some uncles tested both my parents were tested my mum also has lupus and sickle cell um so she wasn't allowed to donate anyway but wasn't a match because my mum was diagnosed with sickle cell at 19 because she was on the pill at the time to try and help her periods be less heavy, and in turn, um, they discovered because she got a blood clot in her lungs that she shouldn't, and that's that's why they realised because you shouldn't be on it because it's you know, obviously your blood you shouldn't be messing with that. Um, and she didn't find out she had lupus until she was forty because whenever she had flare ups they would look like a sickle, like she was having a sickle crisis. Um, so obviously Richard obviously he inherited that gene from her. Okay he was being tested many of the family members tested and then because I was only 20 at the time and it was my first year at uni I think everyone kind of sidelined me as an option but I came back from university I think it was the Easter holidays and just saw how ill he was and I couldn't bear to see it and just casually mentioned to my mum I said you know can I be tested and she was like oh I think she was quite surprised by it um said yeah of course so she then spoke to the hospital and testing started not that long after that i think mm. it's quite a long process is it there's lots of different tests they do and there's you know retesting and it's it's just, it takes many stages i think it was about 6 months worth of testing before we got the okay um but every time things were coming back and they were positive and in the end they kind of said you were I mean, as good as Perfect an exact match, match. yeah, wow. which was very lucky because even though you're siblings, it doesn't mean that you are that lucky or no. privileged, really. So we then went the go ahead, and it's quite interesting. I remember the um, head nurse that was managing our transplant. She took me aside just not long before um, when they gave me the all not the all clear, but or so for want of a better phrase, the all clear that I could do it um and they actually sat me p- took me aside and privately and said you are an exact match but we can tell them that you're not if you actually don't want to do this and not not to to discourage me but because plenty of people go into it wanting with the, with the best intentions and wanting to do it but it is a very serious operation and it can have an effect on your life like not majorly and not straight away but i think in reality it's a big deal and they don't I think I I was quite a young donor and I mm. hadn't had children yet and still haven't so that was something that they were very conscious of and wanted me to really just they wanted to make sure that I was comfortable that I was doing it and I was of course just more than happy to yeah. and Was excited that we could and then we he had the transplant and it was amazing apparently you know as soon as they connected whatever connected i think the
0: arteries or whatever it was working straight away so wow yeah that's amazing very exciting yeah oh yeah. so how did that how was he after that operation and
1: then in- amazing I've, i mean from when we were 14 i'd never seen him quite so well Aww. uh he struggled with it a little bit actually in some senses because he put on weight for the first time ever <laughs> i mean as an adult really yeah he um, i mean i think he went down to about 60 kilos at one point something very quite low and he was you know nearly six foot tall um with you know medium build so he was very very slight and had got i think he'd got used to seeing himself in that way yeah and his his you know his body changed but i I think because it probably happened so quickly it was an adjustment period
0: yeah so then what what happened because obviously he'd had his transplant yes then and how long was he a live before he passed away? He died. Yeah,
1: it was just shy. Yeah, I think about three and a half years. And um, then
0: what happened? So then what happened?
1: So it's it's quite bizarre. Sometimes this is for me anyway. I feel like the universe really just tied things up nicely for him, if if you can say that. Mm. Um, he. He was working for Deloitte as a managing consultant and had decided he was going to take voluntary redundancy and start his own business, mm. of which had happened. And then he went on holiday for a stag do. And I think in Malaga or something like that. And when he got back, he was complaining that he was feeling a bit under the weather. The hospital always encouraged him to not go in unless it was a bit more serious on the basis that he had extreme, extremely low antibodies. So... Being in the hospital could always result in him picking something up um, untoward. And so he was advised to stay at home. But as the uh, week was progressing, he was losing function in his arm. So they did some testing. They eventually took him in and they could not figure out what was going on. But um, whatever the infection or whatever it was was sort of spreading and then he developed pneumonia so when he developed pneumonia they took him into intensive care and i mean he went in on the tuesday and he passed away the following tuesday it was it was very quick it all happened very quick so within the space of a couple of weeks he he died and so he's taking intensive care and then what they decided to put him under because they wanted the body to just be able to focus on the breathing and getting better and not everything else just before uh, he'd been complaining of a headache uh, to my mum. And that was the night in the early hours of the morning that he had the massive brain bleed. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's very, it, it was, it was horribly shocking. I mean, we'd almost lost him about two or three times before, but I think we'd all breathed a sigh of relief when the transplant was a, a, a roaring success, and that he was able to just live life normally. Yeah, you know, in inverted commas. Um, but it it kind it, it almost felt like a slight injustice that he, all this time we you know we'd managed to get him a great kidney, and he was super healthy and really happy, and then it was a brain hemorrhage. But it the body is so intelligent and there's so much going on that everything relates to each other Mm. so it wasn't just a brain hemorrhage it was
0: obviously a direct result of a body that had been under a lot of stress and strain over the years and so after that how did you feel you know how obviously with the shock of it happening that quickly i mean devastated
1: i weirdly a couple of days before it was around the same it was the same time that michael jackson died it was a couple of days after weird weird connection and i remember Mm. at the time I messaged my ex-boyfriend and said to him, I'm worried about my brother. And he said, you know, he's been ill before. And I was like, there's something about this that just feels different. I couldn't put my finger on it. It was quite otherworldly, who knows? But I just had a really strong like your feeling. instinct was saying something was up that was a bit more serious. And then he died a few days later. Um, but I was it was beyond shocking. Mm. It wasn't something we'd prepared for. And I think... There was a part of me that was in a bit of a daze the and up until the funeral, and then it was really like, no, he's
0: gone. It's the reality. Yeah,
1: and what's I mean, one of the worst things I've ever had in the world was waking up the next morning. A friend had come down to look after me, um, and I remember waking up. I'd I'd obviously managed, I some it took me a long time to get to sleep. I managed to get to sleep. Woke up and saw a little note just saying, "I'm downstairs." And it was that wave of realisation because it's not something that's settled in. You know, he finally took his last breath probably around six or seven in the evening. And we'd been at the hospital probably from three in the morning. Were
0: you there when he died? Yeah, we were with him. That's
1: good. Yeah. I'm glad of that. I'm glad. And I think, and I'd like to think he was there. Um, not there. I'd like to think he knew we were there. Yeah. But... It was that all that whole part then just feels like a bit of a blur because a family friend took me home, and I remember he was like, "Have you eaten?" I was like, "I don't even remember really." And he just bought some food from the shop, got home. It's all it's all quite a blur. And then my friend came down, but I just remember that feeling in the morning. I woke up just thinking it was a normal day, and then that wave of absolute devastation. Mm. And that's one of the worst feelings, probably even worse than the initial him passing away because it was just that realisation that this just this wasn't this wasn't a joke it wasn't a bad dream it was
0: were you quite close because I remember you you it was quite an age gap between you both, six and a half it? years yeah it's quite a lot isn't it yeah. yeah what's
1: funny is we were very close apparently I was always very protective of him <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, when you were little <laughs> yeah but I it's interesting I don't know where it came from but I'd always I'd always felt a deep sense of protection around for him before, even before he was ill Yes, I, and that and that's, maybe, maybe there was something, of, you know, in terms of uh, that intuition, maybe there was something about the world that I was aware, I don't know, who knows, but mm. I was always very, very protective of my brother, mm. and, it, and sometimes the dynamic, he was the older sibling, but it would often seem like I was, <laughs> <laughs> old before my time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and at this point when he died, how old, you were, what, 20? 23. So that's so young, isn't it? Very young, it's quite, it's... It's your formative adult years. It is, isn't it? Everyone mm. th- thinks it's, you know, 16, 17, 18, no, 19. you're still But a actually, when you're in your, your early 20s, you're so young. And you are really young. don't know what you're doing, mm. do you? No. And... So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing, but... <laughs> still thought you knew the world. Yeah. And like, I'm an adult? No, but not at all. D- yeah. And, God, I mean, I can't imagine. That, I mean, because, Marie, your parents are both Jamaicans. Yes. Is there a tradition of being buried quickly, or is it did you sort of follow the rules of I've totally had a mind blank as what it's called, but there's
1: normally the eight days of mourning which you do in Jamaican culture oh, which we didn't no. do in that formal sense, but it was definitely a bit of a constant stream of people in and out of the house for for and I don't think it was something where it was uh presented in in that traditional eight days, but it was very much like that did
0: happen um it, and what what is that is that so over a period of eight days people I come I think it's eight, either a week or people eight days come
1: around. people just keep you're just constantly um it's called nine night that's it nine night nine. so it's all about people coming over and celebrating and talking and just being there to support really because and actually it was amazing the support was it you
0: know I, amazing I, it was yeah but Was it people that you knew or, or people that you didn't even like, from the community or?
1: No, more friends and family. But yeah. Just they were, yeah, exceptional. But what's interesting is it, it always, I think, up until the funeral, it all feels a bit like a, you're in a bit of a daze and a bit of a dream. But it's after the funeral when it really hits because that's when it all gets a bit quieter. Obviously, getting to the funeral is that big kind of hurdle. But then after that, it's that's I think that's when the, the grieving truly starts because... Uh, it, it, I don't want to, say, it's not like it's old news, but it, it's, it's that kind of, you don't of, have the distractions of no. planning for the funeral. Yeah, and... you're just like, no, you're just in, you are in the midst of your grief then. Um, and what, and then And it's almost like what happens now? Yeah. And, and you've got to figure out how you navigate in the world as a family or for us, how it was, we navigated the world as a family without having that key person within the framework. Mm.
0: Um how did you
1: do that? Oh god, lots of arguments. <laughs> lots of arguments. I was I was angry. Mm. One after the initial shock of it all and I mean it actually took so yeah, in terms of the how long it took it was about 3 weeks I think until we had funeral. Because at the, there's a problem here. I don't know if it's got better now, but there was just such a massive backlog to be able to to organize them. They're just the the um funeral directors are so busy. Yeah, yeah.
0: So that was hard because Where was he at that time? In the
1: morgue. Okay. Um, And then he was moved to the funeral parkerless morgue. But it's on one hand, obviously, you've got this lots of people supporting and getting you to that stage of the funeral. But then on the other hand, it's that waiting that long to have that sense of closure means you're kind of putting you're on hold until that point. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But once we want the the funeral was stunning. Um, did you see him
0: did you see him at the funeral parlor? yeah so I've always I've always seen family members have you always is that, so that's part of Jamaican culture yes it? which I
1: which I just thought was normal <laughs>
0: <laughs> what you mean they'd be they'd be in the house or
1: no that you just <clears throat> I mean a you go and see them at the morgue and stuff and you'd get we went a few times and just chatted to him gave him kisses and things but also just having an open casket I thought that was just across the board what people did, oh. and when I went to my first uh, white British funeral, I was a bit confused. I was like, <laughs> where, where,
0: "Where's the open cast? Yeah, you know, yeah. how do I
1: say goodbye?" sort of thing. Oh. And that's when I clocked. I was like, "No, this isn't this isn't the norm." Um, but I I don't know. For me, it makes sense because how how do you kind of do that last goodbye without seeing them? And yeah. I, I know it's hard because they look different. Yeah. Uh, if you wish to kind of have a proper goodbye i want to i want to see the embodiment of what their their body
0: and how old are you when you first saw your dead body four
1: so there's a real i think for me there's a real need to 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 have my own goodbye in some mm. way or another and that's so to having an open casket for me makes sense but i can understand if it's not something you've grown up with it's probably quite
0: traumatizing Well, yes, that's the thing, isn't it? But I think also, for me, the idea that someone's in a coffin and you can't see them. Yeah. I find that quite distressing. Yeah, it's too enclosed. It feels... You know, I feel like... It just, I don't know, it just feels, I guess, uh, uh, in a lot of circumstances, you you don't want to look at, Mm. you might not want to look at that person, but in other circumstances, I don't know, I just, there's something really odd, I feel, about the box coming in, Mm. the coffin... And you can't see them. No, I don't like That it. freaks me out. Mm. So maybe in a way, it is a bit weird seeing the body in your head, but actually it's very normal. Yeah, and well, then we grow it, up with well, that. Well, that's saying it normalises death. Like yeah. It is a
1: part, death is a part of life. And tragically, it it's not always this very beautiful passing in your bed with your family at the ripe old age of, you know, 99 or mm. whatever. And it is it can be traumatic and it can be too soon but i think having having an ability to be able to see them it that's not that's not how you remember them but it's no. the, how you say goodbye for yeah. me that's how that's what that's how it connected to me
0: so did you go to the funeral parlor to say goodbye to yes
1: him? we saw him a few times and then i um did i did we
0: did you go on your own
1: him? i was never on my own it was with, I was with my mum and I was with his girlfriend at the time uh, on those occasions, I think. But no, mum Mum went, mum, every time, mum really, really, really was very, I mean, both, parent, both my parents were, but mum outwardly, you could really see, was struggling. Mm. Um, I've got a vision in my mind of when they told us that he had had a massive brain hemorrhage and essentially would never recover from it. And the only way to describe it was like madness in her eyes. It was such a haunting image to see my mum so traumatized and devastated by something which mm-hmm. i can i can't understand I can understand it in in the sense of losing my brother, but I can't imagine what it's like to lose a child. It's just not it's not the way in which the world normally works,
0: no. And then, when you are a mother, mm. you can imagine, yeah, it, well, you can't, but but the idea of it mm. feels painful. Mm. That idea that Awful. your children would die before you, no, is but it doesn't. It's not the natural order no, of things, it's is not. it? And
1: in, uh, interesting. Now I'm I'm with um, my wonderful boyfriend. Hi, Danny. <laughs> 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 um, I think of knowing that we'll probably have children in the near future and thinking about creating a life with this person I love so much and them being the product of our love that's the way in which I can tap into how painful that must have been yeah and still must be yeah is it will it's you know it's, it's it gets easier but it's not it's no less painful
0: and did you feel that in a way you your parents suffering did it overtake your suffering, or were you? Did you feel like you couldn't show how much you, much, much pain you were in as as a sister? Well, or? well,
1: family friend did say, you know, you're going to have to be really strong, and I was very confused by that because I kind of thought, why do I have to be yeah. really strong? Um, I'm equally, you know, I'm equally going through this. Uh, so that was a little bit. I'd actually say shocking if I'm honest um I I get where it was coming from it's a lot of responsibility though it was and I think this is something that has continued and it's not anything that my parents have uh placed upon me however I have a great sense of or a great need, I feel as if I really have to make sure that I look after them, I'm in a position that I can look after them. Do
0: you think that's a Caribbean thing, having to, you know, the idea to look after your parents when they're getting old? It's definitely something. It with... definitely is in Sri Lanka. Yeah, I think it... It kind of, not expected, but it's it's one of those those things where... The, you know, the, the parents will come and live with you when they're getting older. Yeah, and it? you look after them. And you look after them. Yes. So so you want to be in a position to be able to do that. Yeah, and I feel like that. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder if that's a cultural thing. I
1: do think it's cultural. Yeah. I, do, I don't necessarily, I mean, I don't, I'm British, if, I'm born and bred Londoner, but there is a great sense of my upbringing being very Caribbean. Yeah. Like, you know, a moral foundation. And that, and that is definitely something that you do. Uh, and I don't think it is, I mean I'm not, I not it's normally more that they go into a home often in the UK that you you see more and you visit them at the home as opposed to them coming to live with you. Yeah. Or living nearby so you can manage manage and look after
0: them better. Yeah. And I think and do you think because Richard wasn't there anymore, in a way I guess that made that your became more your your just your responsibility yeah, not rather the, I wasn't the, the baby, baby anymore. Yeah.
1: I mean I am the baby. My yeah. mum still calls me the baby. But um and I'm
0: even at the tender age of 32. <laughs> Thanks, Mum. Yeah, I love being the baby. Um,
1: but, uh, yeah, you, it, it was a... Yeah, I just suddenly felt like I was, had... That there was a, overwhelming amounts of responsibility that was laid in my door, uh, which was highly terrifying and intimidating.
0: And so did you put that... Did you feel like you put that on yourself? In part, yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and that's why I, I had to... Just, I escaped and went off traveling after a couple of years just because i wasn't I wasn't healing no, I wasn't healing and I realized I couldn't do that with my parents there because I was living at home at the time when he died and we were just all we were all grieving in such different ways and we stopped being a family I mean we were a family, but I think for quite some time we'd stopped functioning as a family mm. because I mean how do you really when someone who was just so vibrant and wonderful and, and who was a part of our family just gets taken away without much warning so you, you can't get your head around it and you've got to then try and... Refigure yeah. what that family is. Exactly. Yeah. It takes time. It takes. Time. And you don't want to. No. <laughs> and that's, that's part yeah. of it as well. You kind of just go, I just want. I just want them to be back. I want them to experience life.
0: Did you feel like as a society in Britain, did you feel like that? had a pressure of you to just be okay after a certain amount of time or... I'm not sure if it was societal
1: pressures. People have been... I I think I've been incredibly lucky in that I've been surrounded the majority of the time by people that are so
0: understanding. And is that fr- friends? Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've, friends. yeah
1: even now I've, I've got some really special people and actually a lot of them have come to me a bit later on in life, not... Uh, necessarily just ones that have... I mean, I do have some amazing friends that I've had since I was at school and my cousin who um, I've known since I was two. I mean, yes, I've known her since I was two and she is just one of those people I I can see maybe once every two years because sometimes that's how life goes. But if I were to turn round and call at any time of day or night and say, I needed you, she would be there in a flash. Mm. And... Some people don't have let one of those people, let alone multiple. So I know that I'm incredibly lucky, and they have been so supportive. And they they let they give me the space to be able to discuss the things that I need to discuss.
0: And did you find that some people didn't know what to say though? Yes. Yeah. And some some so. some
1: some were amazing. Some really struggled and I don't know mm. if that's in part... I don't know if they're aware that they struggled or I don't know if it's in part they were going through their own grief because they were quite close to my brother or if they just they weren't sure how to deal with death. to handle it. No, because lots of people haven't necessarily lost people. No. And especially people that close and especially that young. And with that, I think it can be nerve-wracking because they don't want to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing mm. but sometimes for me I just think you know I've I openly just say I've always been quite nosy yeah. <laughs> get it from my mum but you know when I say that I do say it with absolute I'm I, you know I mean it and I say do you know you don't have to feel as if you have to tell me this but I'm going to ask you this this or that and don't feel obliged to ha- answer me i'm just curious and want to have that conversation and more more often than not people want to talk about things yeah
0: it's just they that they, they don't feel they can yeah so and do you mean talking to them about how you feel or talking to them about someone that they someone they've known has on, died on,
1: yeah on, on both. both yeah I, but i think in the we're british culture we're very good at
0: not talking about yes things. we're both british mm. I have an Asian background, you have a Caribbean background. Mm. And in a way, that allows a different set of experiences.
1: Mm. Which can be conflicting sometimes, though. Yeah, I, I On I one agree. part, I, I've got better at being more, the more Caribbean side as I've got older. Mm. Uh, but I definitely was, by nature, probably more <laughs> my British side when younger, Same. just keeping everything bottled up. But actually, it was it was conflicting and it was a struggle. And I would just get to the point mm-hmm. where I just boil over (laughs) and i don't ever want to be in that position again so now i talk about things and it won't necessarily be immediate it might take me a few days or a month but i'll eventually have a conversation and i'll think about how i want to talk about it Mm. and then enact it and who is that too is that your parents or My, my 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 partner danny is he's just he's he's my foundation he's my rock and my best friend and he's just really allowed me to become more of who I was which is interesting I think I think that probably I think in part it's the love uh it's the safety there's a there's an element of safety and not in that in that kind of stereotypical sense of oh if I fall like yeah catch me more that there's this this there's a safe space in which to talk openly about things that you're scared of and there's someone that's having someone that sees you in this really beautiful light it's like you then start seeing that reflection and I don't think I've had that before no and so having that you're then able to actually start to understand or get to grips with who who it is they they've fallen in love with
0: yeah that's and
1: it, a really nice way of putting it yeah and it's
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay I'm gonna cry now no, <laughs> no do it cry crying. crying it's so not important. talking about death well, it's the love, it's that yes. love that's um, I think that's really true, yeah, mm.
1: but I think from i i I think there's an element of loving in such a beautiful way when you have experienced death, and when you you're for me, I've become really aware as telling I tell people I love them, i I try and make sure I see people mm. that I really care about and that give good things to me, but I've also got to the stage in life where I no longer am willing. To just have you in my life if I don't feel as if you're giving me what I deserve. You know, I'm I'm loving and I'm respectful and I'm kind. And I'm, I'll give you the world. But I deserve the world back.
0: Yeah. And yeah. that's about loving yourself, isn't yeah. it? And do you think after Richard died, did you feel that you didn't love yourself? Not at all. No. no.
1: I mean, a lot of the guilt. I mean, I there's, there was the guilt that I was, that I'd always been okay. And to this day, I'm still generally okay. Um, you know she'd get a bit older a bit more achy but, <laughs> <laughs> but no just there was a huge sense of guilt that I had you know I didn't get this disease that I didn't that I didn't die young and I, th- I struggled with turning 30 in part because I realised I was forever older than my older brother and I'd probably say it was around my late 20s that I started doing some real um, development and understanding and trying to work on Removing that guilt that that I'm alive because that that's not how he lived and that's not that's not what he would want for me. He was someone that had so much vitality. I think he would hate the thought that I sort of stopped living for a time because of the fact that I was so caught up in his death. I, I was very lost when he passed away, like incredibly lost because you know he's one of the people I love. The most loved the most, and still do love the most in this world. And he was a huge part of a part of my life. And we were very close for having such a big age gap. And I think that's probably why I've always found it confusing when there are siblings that don't get on. and it does happen, like understand it. but I think I was so lucky that I had someone that he would drive me mad at times. but yeah, you know. I would' have done anything for him, mm. and so to lose that, I got very confused and also got very confused with romantic relationships because I think I was always drawn to situations that were had an expiry date because it was easier I understood that I understood that you'd have people and that then they would go away and that and that's all I understood for a time i I wasn't allowing myself to realize that people won't people will eventually go, yeah, but that's not a reason to necessarily constantly go for something where. it's probably quite toxic and and isn't going to go very far because expecting it to basically end. Um, And around my late 20s, when I started to get a bit clearer with that and defining what it is I expected and wanted. And then from that, I met Danny because I was just very much having a great time living my life. Mm. (laughs) And I think then I was ready to kind of let this person in. I wasn't ready before that.
0: No. No. And I guess you don't know that until you're in it. No. Do exactly, you? Exactly. What, What I know we've talked a lot about your grief, yeah. but what did it feel like to you? Did it feel like physical pain? Did it, was it a lot of emotional, was there, obviously it, obviously was emotional stuff going on as well, but mm. I'm just curious how you experienced grief and how, and, how does that ha- change over time for you? Or how has that changed over time for you? So I think it was very emotional,
1: but there was a physical s- sense of abandonment. Uh, I was probably the best way to describe it. I felt like he'd, 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 he'd left me. Mm. And um, that's maybe in part why I was so angry. But I-, I was angry that he'd been taken away, but I was angry in part because I felt like he'd, he'd gone, he'd left me. And it was very... It, it it was physical in in that my heart did hurt. It you know I mean it doesn't but it did. That's all it felt like. And mm. um, did you have palpitations? Or... I didn't get palpitations. No. I just I just felt very heavy in my heart.
0: Mm. It was weighed down by it quite quite seriously. Um, so I think if you're in tune with your body, it does tell you those things. Mm. You I agree. Yeah. So I think it it it's you have to listen to that. Yeah. And that's why I was wondering about grief that I've heard it can manifest itself in different ways, like panic attacks mm. and, um, just feeling very physically exhausted. Oh, and, oh I was very, I was
1: very tired, but I, I went a bit wayward because I just, ha- I just had a total disregard for life for, for a good six months, mm. uh, after he passed away. I definitely went a bit wayward, just drinking a lot, being mm. very reckless, um, just a t- I was just like, what's the point yeah you know, why why do we why bother being here yeah or cautious or worried when you can do everything in in life right in that again in verticals, there's no kind of textbook way of living life, but for me it, in that kind of cookie cup not cookie cup but in that manner of you know, my brother he'd worked hard and studied hard and had gotten to university, even though he was ill during university and he'd got his degree and got this great job and was working his way up and doing, you know, amazing things mm. for himself and just so loving and generous and so kind. And then, you know, he'd kept having these knockbacks throughout life. And I was just angry. I was yeah. just like, why, why? This I- is shit. Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so just didn't care, just did not care. And because I'd had when I when I'd gave Richard the kidney, I'd had quite a serious bout of depression afterwards. A lot of friends, when saw me when I was becoming a bit wayward, were worried that I was about to slip in a really deep state of depression. And I didn't. I was just really angry mm. and didn't give a shit. <laughs> and that's, but yeah. it's
0: like part of you actually did die with Richard. It did, yeah. Your kidney. Mm. And I think was that a, a weird thought for you or did you ever think about that
1: what's funny as i didn't yeah interesting i've never no i've never properly thought of it like that mm. because it's true There was a part of me because what's funny is that just reminded me of when uh after the operation he was better he was doing some crazy dance move and he was like <laughs> i think I've, i think i've got your dance moves <laughs> and was doing like crazy thing. he's like it's from the kidney <laughs> so, possessed by the kidney oh <laughs> uh, yes that's so hilarious
0: uh but, but this is the thing
1: I think I think of now when I think of the sad things or the, the, the devastating moments, it's it's coupled with so much joy. You know, I used to find it really hard to talk about him in any I would talk about him but it was all very like in the past when you know, an example of the, the, the block throwing out his head story and things like that. I could talk about the past, I couldn't really talk about around the time of his death without completely breaking down it's I really use his death now as a tool for progression and I feel as if I'm I'm wanting to live life for him in part mm. you know when we meet again I want to be like I did us proud you know <laughs> yeah I did
0: good yeah. yeah yeah so I guess that's something good that's come out of his death mm. is how you've developed mm. and you know how has that affected your growth in terms of how you see the world and. How you see life?
1: I see the world as a place that we've lost contact and connection with. And we've just, we've just not really loving it enough. And, uh, you know, I want to leave a legacy in the sense to my children and their children and, and to, and to people in that, and not that legacy of that kind of leaving a child. It's leaving a legacy of doing things for the world, for the earth, trying to make it a better place. In turn, his death kind of brought about this 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 want for me to create something of my own. And mm-hmm. three years ago, I eventually started my own business, and that's when our family was reborn again because I worked with both my my mother and my father, who still help sometimes on um, the supper clubs that we started. And that was our that was we because we created this thing together. It, it then gave us an opportunity a new it was a it was a new Beginning. journey yeah and it, and it's really truly from then that i think it, that we really reformed as a family mm. and he'd be so proud of everything that i'm doing he was he was like one of my biggest cheerleaders and it's quite funny i think in his death i've done a, a, a big full circle in trying to figure out what it is that i want to achieve but the main thing is that i just want to live and I want to live happy, and however that you know, however that looks, it's not necessarily about for me having lots of things or making as much money or whatever. For me, it's not the it's not the material. It's the yeah. it's it's the those beautiful moments that you have with friends, you know, eating food, and that's probably why I'm so drawn to food because there's a, such an intimacy. Your piggy, yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> it's delicious. Uh, but just the the love and the no connection. One.
0: Yeah, well, that's the thing. Food. Yeah. It has such a strong connection, yeah. you know, and I was listening to something or I read somewhere the other day that when we have um occasions like funerals mm. and birthdays and weddings, food is a massive part of oh, that. Yeah. And a massive tradition yeah. and, and the ritual of the food mm. and it brings people together and it's really important. Mm. Like at my funeral... It's going to be all about the food. I want a party. <laughs> I find, I want a no no black.
1: All partying, lots of drinking. Yeah. You know, fun. Yeah. It's, you know, it should be a, it's a celebration. It should be a celebration of life. Um, I don't know where this all wearing all black thing came from. We didn't wear black for Richard's funeral. We didn't wore, well, you? No, I think others may, might have, but we
0: wore navy and white. That's nice. Yeah. I have heard, I read an article the other day about this journalist, who, his wife died and he said, "Actually, I wanted everyone to wear black because I wanted if they if they were miserable about her dying, mm. then I was okay with that, you know. Yeah, and I get that. Yeah, but I also I think for me, I'd want I wouldn't want people to come in black. I'd barely wear black. Yeah, so. <laughs> I'm like why are you, going you see, I to do. My... <laughs> <laughs> so I'd be very happy. <laughs> but I I would want people. I want I'd want it to be a colorful experience. Yeah, yeah. same." Did you have any grief counselling or anything like that? I did, yeah. Did you? Where did you get that from?
1: It was through the NHS, actually. Oh. I've had it twice.
0: Who found that? Was that your parents or was that you? No,
1: it was me. I think I realised I was like, this is getting a bit silly in terms of how reckless I was becoming. Uh, And then I went to the doctors and it was through my doctors directly. And that was probably for about six months. I wasn't really on a path to anything that I felt excited about. I wasn't excited about. I wasn't depressed, but I wasn't. I wasn't thrilled by life, mm. and I was aware that there was there were issues to do with Richard that I just hadn't really properly dealt with. I'd dealt with it to a point that I could get on with things, yeah. Uh, but I didn't. I hadn't dealt with it properly, so that I could really craft my space in the world, and so. It was through I think a, a, it was a grief. It was free. It was a grief counselling service. Mm. And funny enough, it was only meant to be six weeks, but I ended up doing it for about a year and a half with the same lady. <laughs> <laughs> she was just fantastic. And
0: did re- she? Can you go as long as as much as you want, or do they say? I don't I think I, think I was meant to. Sort of she just heavy counselling here. She
1: just absolutely loved me and was oh. just yeah. I was very lucky and we had such a nice bond. And she was so supportive. She just mm. really wanted me. She really just wanted to help me get back to being me. Um, and did it help? Oh, gosh, yeah. That was that was probably the best counsellor I ever had. And how old were you when you had that? That would have been
0: around 27, I would have thought. So it was how many years after Richard? About four. Which is quite a long time, isn't it? Oh, yeah.
1: Because in part, I kept blaming myself for the kid...
0: The on some kidney weird level. Training. I kept
1: saying it was the kidney that was failed but it,
0: but the kidney hadn't failed no. had it no
1: i just built i'd built this whole uh i played the whole thing out in my mind as though that's was what was that was the issue when it was totally unrelated you know i didn't save him that's how i felt and that's why that rhetoric had built uh where the, the kidney had had some larger effect when it wasn't it wasn't the case at all it took it took me 4 or 5 years to admit it openly to someone and then process that and actually deal with it mm. so
0: yeah and why do you say passed away and lost? does it feel better than saying died to you
1: I so yeah I use a combination of them all I think but essentially it's just a more delicate approach like if people say oh you got a brother I say oh no he died or to be honest, actually more from than not, I say he passed away yes. and say however long.
0: Is that for them to make them feel? I think it's for me. Or...
1: I think it's about being softer for me. I don't like saying he died. In that, I, it's very, it's very final. I suppose in my mind, I think I believe that the spirit does carry on, not always, and there's a part of me that feels like his spirit is still with me. So, passed away, I suppose, is the finality of one part, but moving on to another. That's maybe why I say that. Mm. That's the, that's the term I use the most, really. Yeah. So I think there's a, is an element of it passing
0: on to a di- something else. Because there's a whole camp at the moment about the language we use for death. Like yeah. people say lost, mm. but it's like, are they lost? No. Yeah. <laughs> where I've have they one, gone? I've never once thought of it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it, so and true. and pass like where have they? You know, it's that yeah. thing where. where and I guess it's the acceptance of the fact that they've died. Mm. But obviously, I know that you. So, what do you? What do you believe about what happens after death? I mean, I, I, I'm, what I, is
1: it? I believe is it? in reincarnation. was some, and the thing, I'm very open. Everyone can have their own thoughts and feelings. I just, for some reason, have always felt like people don't just disappear or when I mean, you die there's finality but it's like their spirit i just think there's so much about the, the body and the world that we don't know and that we're mm. still discovering it's mm. it doesn't seem wild to me that our energy is passed on to another form and it's not saying we hang around for 10 years before we go into another body i don't know what it means in terms of that but essentially there there's a energy within us and the the electricity or is it the electron, whatever it is it's called. Yeah. It's or some us.
0: people call it consciousness or, yeah. you know,
1: but there's physical electricity. It's not electricity in that sense, but there's within our bodies. I can't think of the proper term for it. And so what, when we know that energy doesn't ever die, it mm. passes from one form to another. To me, logically, it makes sense that then our spirit, the end that, that, that energetic part of us transforms into something into else. Into something else. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's a lovely thought, isn't it? Yeah, and
1: it's comforting.
0: Yeah, and there's nothing
1: wrong with having things that are comforting. Yes, as long as they cause they don't cause any harm to anyone. No.
0: So how how do you continue to have a relationship with him now? Oh, I chat to him. Do you? Yeah, that's <laughs> not great. always,
1: but sometimes out loud or in your head. Bit of both, more out loud though, and usually on my own. And sometimes I'll tell people I'm like, oh, I was chatting to him today it's things like, oh, Richard, I just need, a, I, I normally ask for like a sign. Mm, like well, what? Well, what? Well, sometimes I'd be like, can you, can you save me a parking space? <laughs> <laughs> and do you get yeah? one? And then I do. I've never, I've never not asked <laughs> and it's not been there. It's my lucky, it's my lucky charm. Uh, but I think I often, it's normally when I need help and guidance in one way or another because he was that kind he was my he was my that my 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 person that was very much who I would go to when I needed some guidance yeah in you know deciding how how to what decision to make for whatever or I this isn't working what do I do so I often ask him for guidance that's mm. that's normally when I speak to him and when, ask for a sign in one way I mean, I remember when he died there it's one of these things that is so strange and to this day I'm convinced he was do- he was messing with me but I had some tweezers that fell out of my uh, what was it it's called the, the set yeah and uh, manicure set that's it and they fell on the floor and I saw them fall and I went to go and pick them up and they weren't there and six months later they reappeared in that spot where I'd lost them
0: oh that happens to me <laughs> and I was- in the kids room it's bizarre <laughs> But
1: it's just, it was so bizarre. And so I think I feel like he gives me signs in kind of, I'll kind of say- you know, your tweezers. Yes. <laughs> something that would annoy me. But no, normally I'll kind of say, you know, I need a bit of help and guidance. Show me something that I'll understand is mm. that you telling me and then something will happen and I'll be like, oh, that's a clear sign. Yeah. Or, or we'll kind of be like, maybe if it is right to make this kind of happen, or not make this, but you know, to me, it feels like a clear sign yeah. or a way in which he's communicating. I've never felt like I hear voices. I have definitely get senses sometimes that I feel I feel energy, like, but I don't know if that's purely him. Mm. I've lost quite a few people, so um, sometimes it could be them. Um, but I definitely feel as if it, I can feel sometimes his energy.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. It yeah. is, yeah. It's lovely. Hmm. So, what would you have at your funeral for your music?
1: I think I'd have the Love Shack. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect that. <laughs> it's one of those songs
0: that I just love so much. It's such a good song. It's isn't such it? it just
1: gets everyone dancing and it's happy. And I think, do you know what it is? I think it would be one of those songs that would play that no one would be expecting it and would find it highly amusing. Because I am quite weird yeah. and silly, so I think people would see, they would hear, they would hear and see me, yeah. and that's what I'd want. I'd want them, to, I'd want them to know. I'd want them to feel my energy. Yeah, you know? but that but would love, certainly, that that would certainly do. I, I love that song. <laughs> <laughs> the, what
0: was it? The B52s? Yeah, yeah. That bang bang bit might be the free Oh bit yeah, yes, yeah. me in the coffin. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh so oh good. god, you can do that now. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much, Marie. You're welcome, it's been really lovely. Me. And if you want to know more about Marie, visit islandsocialclub.co.uk. And if you want to donate to kidneyresearchuk.org, have a look on their website for details.